0: Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. I'm going to um, read the sermon text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in the book of Hebrews Um, We're going to read a little bit more this morning. We're going to read the whole chapter uh, of chapter 1 to get the flow of thought here from the writer. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to, be to God. God.
1: You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. First Sunday of Advent. Um, nearing the Christmas holiday. Um, I've been so encouraged by the excitement that so many of you have expressed to me and the other elders about this study through the book of Hebrews. It just seems like everybody's just really, really jazzed about working through this book, and I would say that I am too. Uh, I have as much excitement about teaching through Hebrews as I did when we taught through Romans several years ago. Uh, It's just an incredible, incredible letter, but there are two big questions that we need to ask and answer this morning if we're going to feel the thunderous weight of what the author of Hebrews was inspired to write, particularly in chapter one. Two big questions that we have got to answer. And here's the first one. Angels, when was the last time that you gave any serious thought whatsoever to angels? I I have to be honest, I I can't remember the last time for me until we decided we were going to teach through the book of Hebrews, and I start reading the first few chapters of Hebrews, and it's just angels, 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 angels. And and you start doing that and you start thinking about that. And it's kind of like, you know, when you've bought um, a new car and it's a it's a make and model that you've ne- maybe never had before and, and you get this new car and you start driving around and what do you all of a sudden start to notice? They're everywhere. It's like you never saw them before, but then once you get that car, it's like, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. I'm singing these songs this morning. Born the king of... I mean, I bet you're like me. I just fly right by that. Angels? What in the world? And then you start looking through the Bible. You start looking through the Old Testament, and what you find is they're everywhere. Here's some examples in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read these passages. You can look them up later. But Job chapter 38 tells us that angels were present at creation when the earth was formed. Genesis chapter 18, three angels visit Abraham. I actually think one of those was Jesus. But nevertheless, he is visited by three that are referred to as angels. And Abraham has a conversation with them. And then in the next chapter, Genesis 19, two of those angels go over to Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember this? And they rescue Lot and his family before destroying those cities. Um. In Exodus 12, you remember the story of the Exodus? (coughs) Excuse me. There were, um, while the people of Israel were still in Egypt, they went through 10 plagues. And the last plague was the angel of death. And the firstborn in Egypt, every firstborn in Egypt died. According to Deuteronomy chapter 33 and Psalm 68, there were myriads of, it's an amazing word. It's literally thousands upon thousands of angels present when the law was given to Moses. They're everywhere. Why is the author of Hebrews spending so much ink talking about angels? Well, I thought of a couple of things. One Don't know this for sure, but perhaps the thinking in some of the churches where this letter was going to be sent and read had gotten off track when it came to angels. Maybe they got too angelized. Okay, But I think the primary reason is to highlight the supremacy of Christ by contrast. But here's our problem. If we don't even think about angels in the modern church in the 21st century... Right? That, that, we might need to let the Bible magnify them a little bit in order to feel the weight of the contrast that the author of Hebrews is making with the Lord Jesus himself. It's similar to the same problem I think we have with John the Baptist. You read the Gospels, and John the Baptist says this about, himself, about the one that's coming after him one is coming after me that is greater. Everybody say greater. And then he goes on to say about this greater one, he must increase and I must decrease. And then Jesus himself would say, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. There's very little ink in scripture that's devoted to the size and scope of John the Baptist's ministry. But if you pay careful attention to the details that are given to us, what you find out is John's ministry was huge. People were coming from everywhere all over to see this wild and crazy locust and honey eating camel clothed guy out in the wilderness proclaiming prepare the way for the Lord to come. John's ministry was huge, huge, and thus that adds weight to the statements about him, about one greater than he coming after him. Same with angels. The name that angels have is great. And when we say that, we're not talking about specific angel names like Gabriel or Michael. Those are two that people know the most. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the function, the position the essence of their existence in the kingdom by God's decree. By God's decree, angels play a vital, epic, significant role in God's redemptive plan. And they're presented to us in Scripture as mighty, powerful, scary. It's interesting to me, a lot of times when angels show up and talk to people, the first words out of their mouth are, don't be that's how they're presented to us. Their name is great. But Hebrews 1 verse three again. He talking about who? Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name. Everybody say the name. The name he has inherited, <coughs> excuse me, is more <coughs> than theirs. That word excellent can also mean different. So the compare and contrast that's going on here is not the difference between the names Gabriel, Michael, and Jesus. The name that Jesus has that is greater, you might want to take a stab at it, son. The greater name than angels is son. Hebrews chapter one, verse five. For, because, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Do you see the contrast? Jesus is far superior to Gabriel and Michael, not because his name Jesus in and of itself is just a better name, but because his name speaks of the fact that he is son. And thus he's greater than angels. Angels are great. And you might not have thought about them in a long time, but just know this, they're powerful, they're mighty, and they play an epic, vital role in redemptive history. And they continue to do that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13 says this, and this blows my mind, we'll get to it. Many of you have entertained angels unawares. You ever thought about that? You've probably encountered them. Does that blow your mind a little bit? But he's greater because he is the Son. That's our kind of addresses our first question. Everybody tracking? Here's our second question with Jesus being declared the Son and the author of Hebrews using Old Testament texts to prove that, that should raise a question for us. The question is, all these Old Testament texts have their own immediate context, which has nothing to do with Jesus. Has the author of Hebrews hijacked Old Testament texts and made them proof texts for Jesus? Are y'all tracking? This should should raise some questions. In, In the book of Hebrews, is second only to Romans in terms of the sheer number of Old Testament quotes. Romans has 63. Hebrews has 40. 40 texts are quoted and pointed at Jesus. How does that? work. Is that a fair question? Okay. This should cause us to ponder. Let's take verse five, for example. Two different Old Testament quotes are in verse five of chapter one of Hebrews. Okay. The first one is from Psalm two. The second one is from second Samuel seven. Let's look at both of those. We're not going to exhaust all the quotes that are in chapter one. We'd be here all day. Okay. We're not going to do that. Let's look at these two. Psalm two, beginning in verse seven. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 7. This is David writing. He says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, Here's the quote in verse 5 You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and, the, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What's going on there? David, in in this immediate context, the Lord is speaking to David about David. David. In the immediate context, this is about David. You are my son. Why? David's got enemies everywhere. Lots of enemies. And they're plotting and scheming. And the Lord speaks to David and says, listen, you are my son. And all this plotting and scheming of of nations that want to rage against you, it's all going to be in vain. And David basically says in response to them, Mess with me at your own peril because he's called me a son. Don't mess with my daddy. That's that's the immediate context of Psalm 2. You tracking? 2 Samuel. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I got a cough. 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse one. Again, this is about David. Now, when the king lived in his house, lived where? In his house. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that. He lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. David has reached an incredible place in his reign over Israel. Just imagine this. I don't know that we've tasted this. All his enemies had been defeated and he has peace on every border. That's amazing. David is at the apex of his reign over Israel. And David's a warrior. All he's known is battle, right? What happens when the Lord calls him out of the shepherd's field? He shows up bringing cheese to his brothers and ends up in a fight. That's all David's known. Well, now he's got peace on every border. And I wonder if he's sitting in his big old castle And he looks around, he's like, what do I do with myself? So you keep reading chapter seven, here's what he says. He says, all right, well, I've got my house, I've got my castle, but God's still over there in a tent. The temple hadn't been built yet. So David decides, you know what? It's time for God to have a house made out of cedar. I'm gonna build him a temple, something solid, something magnificent, something permanent. This is what David decides he's going to do with his time. And the Lord shows up to him in a dream. You keep reading chapter 7, and the Lord says, David, I appreciate the sentiment, but what makes you think I need you to build me a house? And and the Lord goes on to talk to him. Let's let's look at 2 Samuel, picking up in verse 8. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Picking up in verse eight. Now, therefore, thus says, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, God is speaking through the prophet to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people, Israel. There's God giving David a little dose of humble pie. Don't forget where you were when I called you. You were tending sheep. How I many of you know we all need a little dose of humble pie every now and then? Verse nine, And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I shall make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I shall appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that you may dwell in their so that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed any more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, <coughs> excuse me, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Here's what God is saying to David He's saying, David, you're not going to build my house. Your son, who? Solomon is going to build my house. Now, here comes the quote, verse 14. I will be to him, to who? To Solomon, a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What's God saying? Obviously, this is about Solomon, not Jesus. Solomon's going to build the house. Jesus never committed iniquity. So in the immediate context, this can't be about Jesus. What is the author of Hebrews doing? Is he hijacking? Is this the New Testament Demonstrating bad biblical interpretation of the Old Testament. No. Why? Look at verse 11 again of 2 Samuel 7. This, the last part of it. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a what? A house. A house. David is in his House, verse one, right? He's in his house and he decides, I'm bored. I've defeated all my enemies. I'm gonna build God a house. And God says, no, you're not gonna build my house. Your son Solomon's gonna build my house and I'm gonna build you a what? A house. Now, obviously, God is not talking to David about a new castle. What's he talking about? He's talking about a dynasty. A dynasty. A lineage. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is talking to David about a dynasty, a lineage through which his throne and his rule would never end. You've heard the term penultimate. You heard that term before? A lot, a lot of people misuse that word as if what it means is the very best. That's not what it means. The prefix "pen" actually means almost or next to last. Penultimate is what only and always points toward what is ultimate. God is consistent. And in the Old Testament, throughout All of the ages of the Old Testament, the former time, as the author of Hebrews referred to it, God spoke in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, right? In many portions and in many ways through prophets like David. All of the Old Testament, what we see is God revealing himself and this throughout, this churn of sons, lowercase s, being born. David has a son. Abraham has a son. You tracking? These sons, but it's all coupled with the anticipation of the son coming. Those were the penultimate. There were penultimate sons like Noah and Isaac and Moses and Samson, David and Solomon, all of which were pointing to the ultimate son, Jesus. Remember what I said last week? God's revelation. Think of God's revelation of himself like a river. And at different points in time, Abraham stepped into that river, Moses stepped into that river, David stepped into that river, Solomon stepped into that river, and the, old, the author of Hebrews is not hijacking Old Testament text out of their context, what he's doing is he's stepping into the river. And he's pointing out the fact that all these sons, all these penultimate sons have been pointing to the ultimate son, Jesus Christ. That is how we understand the author of Hebrews using these Old Testament texts. Does that make sense? The sons in the Old Testament are pointing to the son. But we still got to ask the question, how do we know Jesus of Nazareth is the son. How do we know? Look at verse three, the last part of verse three of Hebrews one. Hebrews one, latter part of verse three. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What is hinted at that at at there? It's the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus Christ has only and always been the eternal Son of God. Amen? He's only and always been that. But when the incarnate Son, that's what we're celebrating during Advent season, is that God the Son, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh without ceasing to be God. And when the God-man died, making purification for sin, rose again and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, his sonship was confirmed and affirmed in a fresh and new way. He is confirmed to be the son in his resurrection and in his ascension. You tracking? Go with me to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. The apostle Paul speaks about this. Romans 1, verse 1. Love the pages. I'll give you a minute. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. Does that not sound a lot like in the former time God spoke to us in the prophets in many portions and in many ways? That's Hebrews 1, very similar. He spoke to us in the, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from who? David, according to the flesh. God gave David a lineage, a dynasty. God says to David, I'm gonna build you a house. And your throne is going to be established forever. So he was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just notice the penultimate, ultimate references that Paul's making there in Romans. David was declared to be a son God says to David, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. I'm going to give the nations as an inheritance to you. All your enemies are plotting in vain. And David responds with, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. David, it was declared to be a son, lowercase s, and God gave him a lineage. And eventually, at the appointed time, coming through David's lineage, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power, by his what? Resurrection from the dead. Jesus is not only greater than the prophets, he is greater than angels because he's been declared to be the son. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter one, verse six. Hebrews chapter one, verse six. And again, when he brings the firstborn, The firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame, a fire. Why is the name son greater than angels? Because angels worship the son. Angels serve the son. He doesn't serve them. He, yes, you know, Isaiah tells us that he had no former majesty that we, could, we would look upon him and be impressed. It's, honestly, it's hard for me to get my head around that. That the Son of God could take on flesh without ceasing to be God, and it would be possible for people to look at him and go, huh, but he had no former majesty that we should be all that impressed with him. And yet, through his resurrection, it was always true of him. You understand that, right? What did Jesus say to Pilate? If I wanted to call 10,000 angels, I could put you in your place real quick, bud. He knew. But he's greater than angels because the angels worship him. As great as they are, the angels worship him and they serve him. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Chapter 1, angels worship him, angels serve him. That's verse 7, verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. What do we see? The son is king, and he sits on his eternal throne, and he rules in righteousness, and has been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond or in a greater measure to his companions. Who are his companions? All the little lowercase sons in the Old Testament. Tracking? David, Moses, Samson, all those lowercase sons are subject or subservient to the son who rules, and he rules eternally because... Through, through him, everything was made. The earth, the heavens are the work of his hands. They're going to be rolled up like a scroll, a scroll. They're going to fade away, but he will never fade away. His throne will be established forever, and his years will not come to an end. This ought to trigger our minds to think about Isaiah 9. Let's read it. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This is before Jesus was born, and you know this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. I love the way that's phrased. Was Jesus born as a child? Yeah. I mean, it's harder for us to fathom, isn't it? The eternal son of God became an embryo. Right? Right? and grew in his mother's womb, just like we all did. And he was born. But that's not where Isaiah stops. For to us, a child is born. A son is given. What does that hint at? That the child born is an eternal son. The child born is an eternal, is the eternal son of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of who? David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I think David had a sense of this. I think David had a sense that from this lineage or this dynasty that God was giving him, a son was gonna come that was gonna be greater than him. Verse 13 of Hebrews 1 is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. Let's look at it in Psalms 110 first, and then we'll read it in Hebrews. Psalm 110, verse 1. David, in this psalm, is thinking about his dynasty. He's thinking about the sons that will come from his line. And I think he's looking... I think he's looking down the river. He's looking down the river of God's revelation, and here's what he sees. Yahweh, the Lord, all caps, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David is looking down the line, his line of sons, realizing that a son, the son is coming from his lineage that would be greater than him. Hebrews chapter one, verse 13. And to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering, serving spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Guess who that is? Us. You ever thought about angels that way? They're sent out. I I won't make you raise your hand, but just ask yourself, do you believe that this is real? Sometimes I wonder if we live or we think, maybe that's the way I should say it, if we think on a daily basis as if this is really true. Angels sent out to minister and serve Jesus the Son for the sake of those who are being saved. That's us. Jesus is greater than them because he's the one who saves. It's only the Son. David couldn't save. Solomon couldn't save. David defeated all his enemies until there was peace on every border, but it was temporary. It was temporary peace. We just finished the study through Habakkuk, and we know after David, there wasn't peace. But David had temporary peace, but he looked down his line, and I think what he was seeing was that one would come after him that was greater than him. And what we know is that greater one, the son, the greater David, is the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. He's greater than angels because angels are serving him for our sake. He is the son, declared to be the son in power by his resurrection and ascension. Here's a question. How do angels serve the son For the sake of those who are being saved. Can you think of anything? Like, you don't have to answer out loud, but just pause right there for a minute. How do they serve the Son for the sake of those who are being saved? You know it, but you probably haven't thought about it in a while. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Oh, that's just weighty to me, right? Gabriel, an angel, great, mighty, powerful, serves the son for the sake of those who are being saved, is dispatched by God himself to a little nothing town called Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of who? Oh, isn't this interesting? And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a what? Everybody say son like you mean it. The son has been prophesied and he's here. He's coming. (coughs) coming. He will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why is his name greater? Because he's the son. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Thank God for Gabriel, dispatched to serve the Son for the sake of those who were being saved. The Son is greater than angels because the angels worship Him, and the angels are sent as ministers of fire. Go over to chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Luke. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were feel, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of, there he is again, David. David. Lowercase son, a savior who is Christ the Lord because he is the son. And this shall be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What has God been doing? This is what we see in Hebrews chapter one. He's been speaking. He's a communicating God who has been speaking in many times and in many ways through the prophets, through human agents, and through angels, heavenly created beings. And through all of that, in many portions and in many ways, he's been saying one thing. This is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. So what do we do with that? Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse one. We're gonna get to this next week. Therefore, therefore what? Just pause at that therefore. If God has been speaking, And if God is continuing to speak and if his speaking and his communication has only and always been about one person, his son, who is the radiance of God's glory, the shining forth of the glory of God is the son. He's the exact imprint of his nature. His substance is God. He's been appointed the heir of all things, and through him all things were made. And for him all things were made. He, after making purification for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds the universe by his enabling command. This is the Son. God has been speaking through prophets and angels to all those were all penultimate in order to get to the ultimate the son of the living god declared to be so in power through his resurrection from the dead if that and that son is not only greater than prophets he's greater than angels his angels worse that's what that there that's how that loaded that therefore is so therefore chapter 2 verse 1 we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What have we heard? Son, what has God been saying ultimately? My son, this is my son, my glory, the exact imprint of my nature. Paul says in Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He made propitiation for sins. He rose from the dead. He went through death and out the other side, and now he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father. Do you know what the rest of this book is going to be about? The Son. The glory of God revealed in the Son. And the call is pay attention. Later, don't be dull of hearing. Later, you should be teaching this stuff by now. We've said this a lot at Res Church. A lot of people's gospel understanding stops and starts at, Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. As if the gospel is merely and only. I'm not saying it's not less than that. The gospel is not merely and only some eternal benefit that we get after we pass away. Good news is about the revelation of God in the Son. And that's what the rest of this letter is going to be about. And so my prayer is that we not become dull of hearing, that we pay careful attention and not drift away from it, that we not neglect so great a salvation because God has spoken and he's still speaking to us in the Son who is greater. He's the greater David. He's greater than angels. He's greater than the prophets. He is the eternal son of God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh, Lord, I, um, I feel like we're still in the introduction of one of the greatest letters that was inspired to be written in the New Testament. Things are building to the glory of Christ, the glory of God revealed in Christ the Son. And I pray, Lord, that we would feel the weight of this therefore that sits right there in chapter 2 where we're going to be next week. Therefore, if God has spoken to us in Son, we must pay all the more attention we must give ourselves attentively to what God is saying in the Son. All the former sons were pointing to the Son, Son of the, of the living God. Lord, I ask that you help us not be dull of hearing. May we not be dull of hearing. May we, by your grace, not drift and not neglect so great a salvation, but may we draw in all the more. May we approach the throne boldly to obtain mercy and find grace. May we walk by faith and not by sight in the son of the living God. We thank you for this, Lord. I bless your people now as they We'll scatter from here today having considered this and we'll probably begin to look ahead at what we're gonna be, where we're gonna be in Hebrews next week. Bless them as they consider this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would aid all of us as we wade into the deep waters of the glories of Christ. May we ultimately come away with greater joy in you that will put your glory on display all the more. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. I'll see you
0: next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's r e z where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect@resfaith.com. At